Did you ever notice when you're working intently (laughs) that if you get up and take a walk outside nature, all of a sudden you have a renewed sense of purpose, your mind is cleared, you're physically energized a little bit, and with that short break, you're ready to resume the grind (laughs) of the work that you love or maybe the work that you don't. And so I ask you this question, and I can't believe I had this amazing conversation with Mark Morey. What about bringing nature into the workplace versus being separate? It's something that you visit every once in a while. So let's listen to this very short but insightful soundbite from my conversation with Mark Morey. I consider nature as we're nested inside of a living system at all times. Our business isn't bound by the walls or bound by our markets. If we can keep our mind on the greater system that we're a part of socially and ecologically, I think it creates more meaning and purpose for the employees. Welcome to the Drop-In CEO Podcast. I'm Deb Coviello, and as the Drop-In CEO, I drop into businesses and assume the CEO role to enhance the human element and increase the results they achieve. This podcast is about bringing you conversations with expert guests who have achieved their greatest results built on a strong foundation of purpose, values, and elevating people. If you're a business leader, entrepreneur, or even just getting started in business, join us as we build the skills you need to achieve your goals. Hello, I am Deb Coviello, founder of Illumination Partners, and I want to thank you again for joining me on another episode of the Drop-In CEO Podcast. I have the good fortune of bringing on amazing leaders from different industries week after week so they can bring insights to you and you part with some actionable steps. If you like this episode, please subscribe, rate and review and share with others so we can continue to bring you great programming. And now it is my honor to share the mic with my fantastic guest, Mark Morey. Mark is the founder of A Connected Leader, a consulting firm specializing in evolving executive leadership and company culture. Mark's goal is to transform outdated and struggling work environments into living systems of learning and growth. And as an artist, he realized that the culture of school was outdated, dropped out, and took education into his own hands. His journey has led him to working at Outward Bound, leading the executive MBA offsite program at the INSEAD School of Business in Paris. And after that, he went further off trail and apprenticed to the deeper aspects of being human with cultural elders and teachers around the world. From that point on, he spent 20 years building an international network of cultural and organizational leaders evolving new systems of education to meet the ecological and social imperatives of our times. And today he works closely with a limited number of Fortune 100 executives at companies such as Nike, evolving strategic thinking, talent development, and cultures of innovation that shift the game entirely. Mark, it is my pleasure to invite you on to the show. Thank you so much, Deb. It's great to be here. These are all my favorite topics. All of these are my favorite topics. And the reason why I wanted to bring you on to the show, one of the things we talked about in our discovery conversation was simply being a talent development disruptor. And I am all about disrupting, thinking differently, asking why, for which I was 
push down in education. Stop asking so many questions when really what we should be doing is asking more questions and developing our minds and education. But before we get into it, Mark, maple syrup, tell me something I don't know about maple syrup. I love it, but I know you have a passion for it. Well, I'm from Vermont, right? So this is next to Ontario, probably a maple syrup capital of the world. So it's a cultural theme that when it begins, and it's the season's choice, it's the tree's choice. You don't determine when it starts. All the people on the landscape start working on tapping trees and boiling sap. So it's fun to see that you're part of a greater community process that's unrelated to regulated commerce and all the other things that are by the clock. So that's one thing that's super awesome about it. Well, that actually is really interesting because I do appreciate the commodity. It brings back amazing memories. It's a connection. It makes you feel good. But you bring up the point about community and everything else around it. I think that's probably pivotal to some of the work that you do. So we'll move off of maple syrup, but please share with us even more about yourself personally, your professional work and the work that you're doing now. Great. Well, I think the lead off of this image of a community following the seasonal rhythms has to do with attention to a global phenomenon collectively. I think it's an executive's dream to have their team all doing their special function with their eye on where we're all going, at least our latest aim that might need to be recreated regularly. You know, that's the great thing about naturalists and even farmers and people who have to make their living from the environment really closely. In Vermont, you have 12 jobs all the time. So it's not just one activity. You have to go from that to plowing people's driveways to maple syruping and then off of that back to like setting your plants in the greenhouse. That's part of the economy. So what's amazing about that generalist ability is the attentiveness to the changes that are going on and the strategy and working with other people to manage that complexity. So I think this is a really good training environment for team development and and organizational direction. I help executives in complex situations. And I do that by creating systems of human connection through working with executives and being a thinking partner, but through leadership development in general and cultural design strategies. So one of the problems that isn't necessarily pointed out but results in a hundred different problems is the issue of social isolation. And it's not just remote work. If you go back to pre-pandemic, and there's a lot of statistics around people at work were being polled by Harvard Business School and other places around how are you doing in this place you spend most of your life And people will say, I don't feel seen, I feel alienated, I don't belong. And this has deep psychological repercussions. If this were a community analysis, they'd say, wow, this is a really bad community. Like, this is really difficult. And it directly affects performance. It affects self-esteem. affects innovation because I don't trust the environment. So it's big, but it's kind of like this unspoken thing, like maybe there's even a stigma around it if it becomes a mental health issue, like we can't talk about it. Let's let's throw things at it like fun hat day or a one-off volunteer thing where we all wear red shirts and then we come back and go to work. I believe this is a design issue. For example, one of the people who really spoke to this that I think carries a lot of authority is the Surgeon General who's working under Biden right now. He was the Surgeon General under Obama and 
he basically said, if I had to pick one kind of thesis statement for my time in office, it's around human isolation and the loss of the cultural connectivity that we used to have as a baseline. And with all the disruptions, and he went through and named all the things, we've modernized and we've innovated and there's a lot more technology and consumerism that are great. However, we've lost some things in the process that we used to take for granted. And that's around human connection. So he wrote the book on it. He thinks it's a public health crisis. And I would agree because my background prior to corporate work has been in working with families and youth and communities around what creates healthy human beings. How do we work with human development, parenting, community relationships and roles for a healthy, meaningful life? And there's a whole bunch of indicators that you can map onto human development and childhood development. And if you don't have 80% of these going, there's a good chance you're gonna end up in a number of dysfunctions that are really costly to the state economically, but also just to your well-being and to the community at large. You become a, a liability instead of an asset. So it's really measurable and, and we can do something about it. So that's my general work that I'm bringing right now to the workplace as a strong nodal part in society. I am just so taken aback here. There's so much in that. I heard two amazing insights, if I can bring it home. First of all, and maybe I wasn't aware of this. So certainly we can say, ooh, let's leverage a crisis. Let's take advantage of a crisis, the pandemic, and how do we manage a remote workforce, people feeling disengaged. And I am getting the feeling that it simply amplified an existing problem, that isolation was always there, but now it's just more apparent. So, wow. <laughs> and yes, I understand not being connected to the greater good. And another thing I heard you say was, again, we started out as farming communities and everybody had to rely on everybody else. But when we enter the work environment, and if you're fortunate to work for a company that has great culture, kudos to you. But it's essentially we check our sense of community at the door and we simply go into the workplace and perform a transaction. Why? Perhaps what I'm hearing you say is bring back community into what we're doing. Again, we don't have to hug and love everybody and be socially dependent on everybody all the time. But why can't we do more of what we already do within our community and at home in the workplace? Yeah, you're underlining some important things there. There's a lot to say about how people come to this conclusion. But one general narrative is, is when something newfangled comes in the front door, something old fashioned goes out the window. And Google did a famous Aristotle survey, is what they call the Aristotle, and they were trying to find out what creates the most effective team. And the people were guessing in advance it was going to be the smartest people or people with the most engineering skills. And what surprised them about the research is that the number one quality that creates the most effective teams at Google is they do tons of data on their people. They're like constant subjects, and it's like continually rotating into new material. The number one factor is psychological safety. And that is defined in the mind of the individual. Wow. <laughs> yeah, and it's defined by things that you wouldn't necessarily associate with an effective work team, but it just shows you how important it is to have other qualities as a manager besides efficiency. So for example, they were defining aspects of psychological safety like the best teams were ones where people felt like they could bring their whole self to the conversation. 
if they were struggling with something at home or unrelated to the exact project, they felt okay sharing it. That there was a time and a place for moving the things out of the way that were in the way and they could take the time to acknowledge that. And essentially it was a more human environment, even though that sounds very difficult to diagnose, but it's kind of intuitive. Like, how do you relate to people in community or family? If you could bring more of that to a team process, in the end, outperform teams that don't. You know, this brings together a little story I have. I have a client that is probably about five people in the organization. They have multiple hats. And one of the things that I said to them as I'm helping them with a certification and it's a technical problem, we're getting procedures written. And I said, okay, what is your process for cascading information in the organization? Where's your procedure? What are your systems? How often do you do it? And in what format? And he just looked at me and says, Deb, we communicate with each other every day. We see each other. We have conversations. The flow of information is constant. And I will tell you, they are one of the best clients I've ever worked with. Every individual knows that the other has their back. And that's how they survive. And that is the foundation of a great culture. There are only five people, and they're surviving the crises. And gosh, I wish we could learn so much more from companies like that that truly provide that psychological safety for people and just communicate. There's so much in there. So I would love to go maybe a little bit deeper. You kind of break this down because we've been up at like a 30,000 foot level. But I think my listeners also, if you take some time to reflect a little bit, like when have you felt you've been in an environment where it's psychologically safe? When have you ever been in a place where you felt socially connected to the people or were you isolated even if you were in a corporate nine to five? A lot of your work you talk about is connection connection to self, connection to others, connection to nature. Could you break that down a little bit more as you work with clients that are seeking to have a better culture and a better outcome for their business? Yes. And we should think of these things as a framework that interact with each other. The self and other one might be easier to see, but I consider nature as we're nested inside of a living system at all times. Our business isn't bound by the walls or bound by our markets. If we can keep our mind on the greater system that we're a part of socially and ecologically, I think it creates more meaning and purpose for the employees. So that's why that third one I think is probably not common, but also the direction that we're going in because we could say climate change. If we're gonna reconcile against one of the greatest crises we have as human beings, we're going to have to reconcile with the idea that we're continually inside a living system and we might as well make that part of work design and work purpose. And we all know that purpose is huge. If we're not developing purpose in individuals and purpose on teams and understanding the company purpose and aligning those, there's going to be breakdowns in will, breakdowns in performance, breakdowns in trust. So those are, in a sense, how they interact as all three. But if we go into each one, I could give some specific examples on development. Well, I'm actually most curious about the nature because I have shared a lot of content on this program and in my work around getting in touch with yourself and also the connection and the interaction and the respect of others. But the one about nature is quite interesting to me. And I want to understand how much is it that they bring the principles and lessons learned of nature into the development of the leadership or the teams, or is it taking the teams and bringing them out into nature? Ideally, it would be both and it would be a cycle, ideally. So I've done several experiments in smaller and larger companies that I think point to both of those cycles. 
So for example, what if a nature relationship, a nature connection process was an instrument for well-being in the workplace, for example. And as a manager, you knew how to draw on it consistently and maybe strategically. And so, for example, I was brought into Nike with a VP who is coming into the middle of a reorg and turns out he was going to drive another reorg. So some of the people in that division were going to be in a reorg for like a year and a half. And frankly, they still are. And it resulted in super low scores. They do these quarterly scores on how you're doing as an executive. And he was just like, these scores are terrible. Trust was really low. Communication was really low. And performance was low. There was very low initiative going on in the group. And he wanted to transform this group into one of a whole new 21st century technology because it was a tech division. But the people development was not there to meet it. So I said, well, let's design your onboarding retreat where he comes in and meets the whole team. And then we're going to do a series of these developmental sessions. And one of the things that we did was we developed frameworks for self-observing around personal agency and caring and where our challenges are. But we also went outside and changed up the environment as a cross-training initiative. This was an analogy that worked well for Nike because they understood that, yeah, some of the best athletes do meditation, for example, or they do exercises that are unrelated to their job. So I said, well, let's go outside. And so we did a sensory activity, which is essentially a mind focus drill where we found a place on campus that was naturey, not too far from the building, took like six minutes to walk there from this fifth floor place. So I was like, this is doable, six minutes, here we are. And then I walked through a mind focus, like starting with their body and how they were in their body standing on the ground, where the wind direction was coming from. And then I went to the eyes and talked about a a secondary sight system, which is essentially our peripheral vision. It's very different than the sensory system we use for focusing on computers. And the thing about it is if you did mental imaging of those two systems, they have a different effect on neuron development. There's a bunch of science behind this, but essentially there are rods and cones in the back of your eye and your mental state, your mental focus can switch between the two. So if you are reading a book or looking at somebody or focusing on the computer, you're hyper-focusing on the cones that are in the center in the back of your eye. And it creates kind of a direct pathway in the brain. Whereas the cells around the periphery of the eye, they're called rods. They focus more on low light levels and more based on movement, whereas the cones are focused on color and focus, which is why you would use those for focusing on people. But the mental effect is totally different. And the origin of these cells, which is, I don't think we're ready to throw these away, (laughs) is around sensitivity to what's in our side vision ancestrally, which comes down to in low light levels, if something is jumping out of the dark from the side, it's likely was going to kill you. So we developed cells to pay attention to that all the time. And it creates a different effect in the brain, which is more of a nerve net. It creates a global relationship to sensory information as opposed to just railroad tracks. So if you 
do this on purpose as a mental exercise, which we have to do now because we don't walk around outside of dark looking for things that are going to kill us. We could actually just exercise this like one of the aspects of our gym that immediately they tested this in the body. We shift from alpha to beta state brain waves, and we have a deep sense of relaxation that goes on when we combine it with one other mental focus, like our breathing or checking in with our body. And so I just did those two senses. And then I said, I had them do a finger count of how they were feeling around stress wise. And then a finger count five minutes later, it was even less than that. And they were like blown away the state change that they were in. I said, well, it's been 10 minutes since we were in the room. Was that worth it? They were like, absolutely. And then I said, now let's self-observe your awareness on how stressed you were prior to coming out here. And they're like extremely low self-awareness. So they didn't even know that they didn't know. So we got all that going on in a very short amount of time. And the power of that extended deep into their developmental kind of follow-ups that we did after that. Okay, what are you going to do to develop this? Because like it will be gone if you don't create a culture of connection. Because we're birds of a feather flock together. If we're not all valuing this weird thing, cross-training activity of going outside, we're not going to do it. We're going to do things that we get rewarded for, career advancements or that kind of stuff, carrot and stick. But if we have an internal relationship to the intrinsic value of that level of peace and self-understanding, our ability to grow ourselves, self-manage, self-learn is going to be way higher. So it's not even a secret. It's really, to me, from the, my history and nature connection and living systems work, not just in Outward Bound, but like I mentioned in my bio, working with native people and traditional teachers, they all know this. They designed it into their human development plan for raising children and culture from the beginning. So they have quite a deeper sense of what it means to be a human being relative to our modern development. I'm just floored by this. <laughs> this is only audio for our listeners, but I'm just, my mouth is hanging here. Like, first of all, I can so relate to what you're sharing with us about, you can read a book head on, you can read something on the internet head on, you gain knowledge, it's very singular focus. I often find if there's noise in the room, I can't focus, I can't take in that information. But if I could just relate something, first of all, this is beautiful, where you basically transfer people out of their current state into a different state of higher awareness through that using just different mechanisms in your body, the chemistry, the cells, etc. You see, feel and hear different things that come forward in insight, or in your case, just more self-awareness. I've been in places like this, and I think people should listen and think about when have they been in a place or space where somehow and they had an aha moment, or things became clearer to themselves. I hate running, and I've done two half marathons, but I will tell you through the training and getting over that mile and a half hump and getting into flow. Some of the greatest insights as a leader trying to figure out how am I going to take a region from number four to number two, and I have no roadmap, I don't have any leadership support, I gained clarity to say in order to get what I need to get to, create a framework of one based on one team working in one way towards one goal, again, to speaking to purpose, but it came to me in my own way, not from reading a textbook, but being from in a place of just a different awareness about your surroundings, getting in flow, not being distracted, and insights and thoughts and clarity and calm can come to you. And then 
that's the place where the teams or the individual can start doing amazing work. I so get it. (laughs) So talk to me about an example where obviously you've done this with quite a few teams. They go out into this experience in nature, reconnecting with nature. They are in a different level of awareness. And what is next for them on this journey? Well, in the old days, it was Thompson Island Outward Bound. I did that for years and years. I probably led hundreds of groups doing this. So I was really clear that this was effective but effective in the moment and and somewhat fragmented from the actual workplace. So it served as a social bond and there's a whole hierarchy of social bonding that's like pretty essential. Things that are increased meaning of your relationships and from low to high risk, there's a quadrant that we can talk about. So like doing edgy ropes course activities actually increased the bond, but you could have low risk versions of social bonds that had high meaning like clubs, at work, for example, in special book groups or whatever things you like to do as a hobby. But what I've been working on is bringing these two things closer and closer together with a reconciliation that they're not separate. Kind of like the work-life balance myth that we really need to be designing for integration and wholeness. And so that requires creativity and new design thinking, which I'm not afraid to do. I don't have any attachment to the old way of doing business. Like this is probably one of my advantages. I'm a really good thinking partner for executives because they're like, oh, and I never thought about restraining that idea or eliminating those barriers. Why are we continuing in that? I said, I don't know, because those aren't working. So the innovation is around being able to integrate that as part of your workday. We were out there after the sensory activity, we went to ears as well and smell and taste. And then I took them a little further through this little hedge and I discovered a stream on campus that was more rough and unkempt. And it was not like being on a manicured lawn. And all of a sudden it felt okay to be there as opposed to being on the lawn, which felt weird. Like we're not supposed to actually be on the lawn that's part of the natural system on campus. But this had beaver chew activity going on there, a nice bank. And it was like a nice walk in the woods all of a sudden, only 30 seconds further than the other spot. And I had them take out a journal, a pocket pad, which was part of our tools for connection. We have six tools that I I like to work with, three that generate awareness and three that generate meaning making. And those need to cycle with each other. Because if we just have awareness experiences, maybe like out on Thompson Island Outward Bound, so what? What difference does that make in terms of my everyday life? What's the relevance of that? So we would work on that while we're out there, next steps and stuff. But it's like, I could tell on the boat ride home, like maybe half of that was gone. (laughs) In this case, what if we intend to create a new insight for ourselves while we're out there with our journal? I gave them a framework to think about what are they present to now that they weren't present to before and to consider a current issue that they're facing at work that's been previously really stumping them and to reconcile those with an insight that they're getting around this nature experience. What are they learning from this that they could apply to work? And just asking that question and inviting reconciliation, they came up with their own answers for themselves. And then I asked them to put it into a SMART goal and make it actionable and measurable. So it wasn't just an abstract follow-up, like be more aware. It had an organization to it that we could witness whether they did it or not, like a KPI or something. And then they did a paired share with each other on the bank of this little stream. And I taught them a whole process around how to, this is a technology, not just a technique, but it's a mentoring technology, how to actually bring clearer thinking in another person without inserting your ideas. 
So it wasn't just journaling, it was enhancing their self-reflection through this dialogue process I taught them. And that was something that was going to continue going forward. And then we built another meta-reflection of how was it to have a conscious dialogue process and a thinking partner for yourself? And they're like, this is phenomenal. All right, how are you going to integrate that back at work? Seven minutes later, we're back in the office. I'm like, okay, so what did you learn while you were out there? This whole thing was less than 30 minutes, right? And I know it was a compressed experience, but the whole point was you could do this every single workday. There is so much insight into this. And I think I'm totally getting with what you're talking about during a time of transition out of corporate and trying to figure out what was I going to do for my business. I spent a lot of time in nature, walking, listening to podcasts, reading, sitting, and realized what I really loved to do was to create. And I often think back to when I was a creative as a child, but never manifested itself into the arts. I went into the engineering particular area, but just having that knowledge of, I love to create, I love to write, I love to to speak. And then how could I take action on that? And so here we are on a podcast being able to bring thought leadership to other people and also connecting with people that maybe I can solve their business problems. So again, it's very actionable. Now, there are two really important questions I want to ask you because I want to draw people into really relating stuff that I think is really intellectually powerful. So for an individual who may not be part of an organization that sees the need for this kind of ecosystem work to evolve the culture into something that's more creative, what can an individual do right now to be able to, if nothing else, develop themselves and become the leader or the organization that they should be in or like to be in? So I can think of three things they could do right away. One is a very powerful practice of gratitude. And I consider this a leadership technique because you don't always feel grateful. And it's a voluntary, I like to distinguish what is gratitude for it to be effective. Because I think if we're not familiar with it or we've lost touch with it for some reason, because it's a common practice around the world in a whole bunch of different cultures, which gives you a clue. Oh, that's interesting. The most primitive people in my anthropological assessment actually do this on a regular basis. Why don't I? It's a technology that's lasted, and it's probably part of survival in a community that's dealing with change every day. I mean, we deal with change every day, but their change is a natural systems change, constantly changing. In gratitude, they take the time to do this, sometimes extensively, like hour-long practices, right? So gratitude is not celebrating somebody else. So I just want to restrain that, because a lot of times they think, oh, I'm thankful for what you did for me. They're pointing the celebratory finger in a sense. Gratitude is a voluntary act of humility, and it's considering in your imagination, what are the things that I'm interconnected with that I would not be who I am without them? What am I interdependent with or even dependent on? And if I didn't have that, I would really be struggling. And so it's a turn towards usually complaining to, well, I've got all these blessings to count. And it actually creates a different perception of your opportunities that weren't there five minutes before. So that's huge. And you should do that daily, rhythmically at the same time of day, and you can do it in a journal. The other would be do that sensory exercise outside. You can do this before work. You can do it at transitions. Now that we're all remote working, heck, you could do it three times a day for five minutes, which I really recommend. It's, it creates an immediate shift. And the way you do this is you walk through all five of your senses and you add them as you go. So I like to put a couple of breaths in between just to signal like, oh, I'm adding now listening to my visual sense. Am I actually looking 
at what I'm looking at? Am I actually listening to what I'm hearing? Because a lot of times I realize, oh, an airplane's been going by and I didn't even realize it was there. Do I tuned into my ears? When am I doing that with people? And then the body is really just the skin organ of like, how am I feeling the breeze, standing on the ground, the body sensation. And then sometimes you can add smell, especially in spring or after a rain. And can you hold all of these at the same time? And it's a phenomenal effect. I encourage people to even try this during this podcast to add just two or three. And what starts to happen is your mind stops chattering. It goes to like a temporary silence. And then you're like, my mind stopped working. And then the chatter comes back. But it's a phenomenal thing that it's only silent when you mentally concentrate on three or more of these senses simultaneously. It's like a vacation. It's a beautiful experience. So there's that. And then we could integrate, for example, the journal. So if you go outside, do a sensory experience, come back, use your journal to capture the fresh thinking so that you have a meaning-making cycle to that awareness experience. Actionable, and if nothing else, wherever you were in your mindset or how you were feeling, you can disconnect from it and reset and restart whatever it is that you're intending on doing and hopefully with a little bit more intentionality for the work that you're doing and become a better leader for it. So that's absolutely amazing. And we are going long, but I absolutely have to ask you this next question. So your work is exceptionally interesting. It's not for everybody because not everybody needs it or is ready to receive it. But what does the leader look like? or Where are they at when they realize I need something different? I may need to connect with Mark. What is it like? Where are they at? What is their pain at that moment when they finally make the decision? Yeah, I was just thinking about that the other day. A friend of mine's bringing me into Google. We've been working for a long time. So I think he's got the trust to bring me in. He has no question. He doesn't even know what I'm going to design. But the thing that he said was he, I helped him through a whole promotional career shift phase where he was, went from like an individual contributor to now being a manager of multiple teams. And he said, I got to where I was intending to go. And I was looking around, I was in this meeting. I was like, is this it? And, and it was a depression kind of a quality to a lack of meaning. And he's like, what would Mark Morey do? And he's like, I'm calling him up. And so it began a creative conversation and he had to pitch it to his director who would be the budget holder on this. And he basically is like, I don't want another one-off activity. I want enduring results. So that's the second quality. And we have to get to root causes enduring results. And that has to do with evolving the capacity for people to be self-managing, which involves self-observing and most importantly, self-remembering, meaning we all have a uniqueness and an originality like you return to in your career transition. What was I like when I was young? When am I, was I really at my best? When did I leave that to the side of the trail and did something else for a while and I lost myself? How do I get back to that? That's a whole capacity building process. It's very different than the fun hat party or the Friday night drinks and cocktail Zoom call. My friend in this other department is like, they're rolling out this whole leadership process where you fill out a worksheet and then like six months later, you fill out another worksheet and like that's supposed to grow you. He says, we need a continual developmental ritual, a, a dojo of leadership development where we're building this process together. So I proposed that to my friend at Google. He's like, absolutely. 
Let's create a scope of work for a year and we'll roll this out monthly. And in between, we'll do those resource sessions with each other where we learn to build each other's thinking and grow this self-remembering, self-observing and self-managing, which is that smart goal part of how do we take this growth curve and put it back into the organization. And that's amazing work. And I often talk about that in my up and coming book, The CEO's Compass, in the area of performance. You can do your own work on yourself to try to improve your skills, but it's got to be integrated one-on-one -on -one with your manager and then the leader looking at what is the capability of the organization and then aligning it with purpose and then just doing it over and over again versus a one-off event or let's send you out for training. Again, that's why the Drop-In CEO podcast provides additional resources, thought leaders, disruptive leaders such as yourself to get people to think differently, take control of their organization or their actual career. You've been an amazing guest, Mark. I am so grateful to have brought this conversation to my listeners. Any last thoughts or how best can people connect with you and your work if they want to learn more? You can go to my website and contact me. I have a special offer I can bring to your audience who's been listening. It's a PDF I can create around seven steps to gratitude at work. So this would be for the individual change agent who wants to start to move at the cultural level. Like, how do I even get this normalized? I've got a worksheet for that that lays out all these steps and the background of it and even real nuanced stuff so that it comes off really well. And an assessment of how connected are you? in terms of your culture for the executives and help them think about how to deal with multiple problems with a single nodal strategy. Amazing. I've been taken back to nature. I've been taken internally, reflectively to some of my past and the journey I've been on to try to create a better ecosystem for the work that I'm doing now. So you've been an amazing guest. Thank you so much and continue success with the people that you support and work with. Thank you so much. Thank you, Deb. Thank you for listening to the Drop-In CEO Podcast. I hope you are inspired by our conversation and can apply what you heard to your business or career goals. For more information about our consulting or coaching services, please visit my website at dropinceo.com or visit our Drop-In CEO Facebook group to continue the conversation. Now go out, lead, inspire, and achieve your goals.